Well, good morning. It is uh, great to have you all here and uh, just hanging out with you and, and just a chance to worship together. And, and uh, we're going to wrap up this uh, series here, just uh, kind of a quick uh, two-part uh, series. And if you weren't here last week, um, we're, we started this series, uh, and I love the name of this, Christ Isn't His Last Name, right? Um, and the reason for this, just this simple idea that oftentimes in our culture, we end up thinking about Jesus Christ as like, you know, first name, last name. But, you know, it's interesting if you think about Jesus's followers, they would have never thought of it that way. They would, they would have thought is uh, the name Jesus is holding some beautiful and wonderful distinctives uh, about the Son of God that we looked at uh, last week. Uh, but they would have seen this idea of Christ as holding uh, another set of beautiful and wonderful uh, distinctives. And we're gonna, we're, we, we won't get to look at the fullness of all of that, but, I, but there's one aspect of it that I want us to look at here this morning. And it's even interesting when you think about Jesus' followers, uh, long, long before they knew the name Jesus or had ever seen his face, they had been looking and longing for the Christ, right? This, this is, they came out of a rich uh, heritage and tradition where, where some of these distinctives, uh, like they understood that there was something deep and profound in all of this. And if we miss that, if we miss this connection uh, back to the Christ, then, then we miss something that we would really need and want in our own relationship with Christ. And I just, so this series is about how, how can we just become even more grounded and connected uh, to who Jesus Christ uh, is. And to do that, I want to look at this passage uh, where they actually look and have this conversation, Jesus and a woman by the name of Martha do. It's found in John uh, chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 11. And uh, they're actually going to bring up this idea of the Christ, and it, and it plays out in a way that I want to look at here this morning. Uh, what's happening is Martha uh, has a sister Mary and a brother Lazarus, and their brother has died. And they are probably uh, very close friends of Jesus. And, and Jesus doesn't show up in time uh, to save Lazarus. And so, so you can just imagine for a moment that if you were a follower of Christ and you have watched all the beautiful and wonderful things that Jesus has done and the ways he's, he's healed people. And, and now there's this moment where, where, you know, someone you love has passed away and it's like, What's going on with all of this? And so we pick up this uh, conversation a bit between the two of them. Look at um, verse 21. Uh, uh, It says, uh, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks. Um, And look at Martha's response here. The first part of verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, right? And so when they get onto this topic about uh, like this... Uh, incredible side of who Christ is, this the one that would stand over life and death. Like she, she makes this comment where she says, I, I know that you are the Christ, uh, she says, and referencing this idea. Um, but the question is like, so 
what is she acknowledging there? What is she seeing? And, and I don't know that we're, we always fully understand this. And I would say this too, I don't know that Martha fully understands it, but she has a, she has a good idea. She has an inkling of what's uh, going on uh, here with this. Um, and part of the reason she responds to this is in part to the situation she's in. There, there's kind of this desperate situation she's in. And, and, and we'll look at this in a little more depth uh, at the end of the message here. But Jesus asks her this question, right? Do you believe this? And in some ways, that's an odd question to ask there, isn't it? Like, uh, like it's almost like I have this theological, uh, you know, supposition that I'm going to lay out. Do you believe this? Like, you know, I've got like a little theological quiz or something. And it doesn't fit the situation. It face value. And we'll see in a little while why it does actually, why there's something beautiful going on here. But like, she's just lost her brother. She's at this place where like her world's coming unraveled and, and what she thought would happen you know, with her, this close friend of hers, this person that she follows, that she calls Lord, that she, like, she has a, a deep understanding of who uh, he is as the son of God. And like, he didn't show up and she doesn't have what she needs. Like, she's a human in this. Like, like she needed him in this moment. And she's at this place that maybe sometimes we find ourselves, right? She doesn't have everything she needs for what she needs to navigate Ever been at that place where you just face something in life and you're just like, I don't have everything I need for what I need to get through this right now. Maybe, maybe it's things at work that are just stacking up and the demands are there and you, and you don't see a way out, but the work needs to be done or you've got to have the paycheck and it just starts and you just feel the sense of overwhelmment. Maybe it's with school or something. Maybe, you know, maybe something's happening and you had, you know, everything planned out. You're going to get your degree and this and this, and all of a sudden something's going uh, sideways and it, and it's just, it's like soul crushing and, and you don't have what you need in this. Or maybe it's literally with loss, the same kind of loss that Martha's experiencing. Right? It's someone that you love. It's someone close to you. You know, uh, just like a week ago, there was someone that I worked with for a long, long time, someone I uh, love dearly, um, who was our worship pastor here uh, decades ago, John Wyatt, who passed away. And, and just working on this message, and I just thought about him, and it reminded me as well is uh, someone that I worked with for decades uh, was on this staff, Gary Schrader. In fact, um, Gary Schrader uh, passed away not too long ago, um, but he was actually my youth pastor, right? I, like, I gave him trouble when I was his, you know, in, in his youth group, and then he became my executive pastor, and I kept giving him trouble, right, you know? Um, but he was one of these guys. I remember uh, before we lost him, I just, everything was just like, God, this, there's nothing about this that makes sense. What this man is doing for the kingdom and his mind and, and just it, what he did for us as a church behind the scenes was just so amazing. And there's just moments where it's just like, okay, we, we all have to move on. And I, and I think about his wife and his boys and his family. And I just thought, like, how do we, we just don't have what we need for what we need to get through all of this. And it even, you know, had me thinking back when I lost my mom, you know, more than 10 years ago and just moments where it doesn't make sense ever have moments where there's just something weighing on you or something you're facing and you just go, I don't have what I need for what I need to get through this. 
That's Martha. And I bet every one of you knows that at one point or another in this. Because what Martha needed, what Martha needed was someone that was more than just a good teacher. She needed more than just someone who was wise. She, you know, she needed more than just, you know, a theological uh, uh, lesson or quiz. Martha needed someone who had the power to help her navigate what she was facing. And you also need what Martha needed. And I need what Martha needed in that. Because we're human. And, and we will find ourselves in those places in life. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ. Right? We, we talked about Jesus last week. And we talked about how he was a real human being. Fully man, fully God. And he existed in time in history for some 33 years and the beauty and what that meant. But here's why Jesus Christ is also such a gift. Because Jesus wasn't just that Jesus that we talked about last week that gives us such a beautiful gift of a picture of God. Jesus is also the Christ. And long before there was a human being named Jesus who showed up on this planet, Jesus Christ was in existence and a part of this and holds this kind of power. Like, we, we get to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that I, I, I want you to see and think about and understand and find a way to engage in uh, here this morning. And to maybe get a fuller picture of, of who Christ is, that when Mary says, you are the Christ, um, I want us to look at a passage found in the book of Colossians. It's actually a letter. So if you have your uh, Bibles, uh, if you want, keep your finger here in John, but flip over to Colossians chapter one, because there's a passage there um, that unpacks this a little bit more of who he was uh, as, as the Christ. And in verse 16, uh, Paul's writing this and, and describes this, says, uh, for in him, speaking of Christ, for in him, all things were created. Pause it for just a second. He just said, in him, all things, all things were created. And I think sometimes we miss that. Like just like all things, look back at it again. For in him, all things were created. And not just things here on earth, but all things in heaven and on earth, right? Like just, not just in the physical world, like in the spiritual world somehow. Uh, all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together, right? Now, um, I just read that and like, I don't think as human beings, it's, I don't know that we can really fully comprehend everything that Paul just walked out there, right? We can know all the words, but he just unpacks something that's pretty amazing here. I mean, think about this for just a second. A second. When he talks about when Jesus is creating all things, it's not just that he's the creator of them. Uh, all things were created in him. I figure out what that means, right? All things were created in him, for him, and by him. Like, let that sink in for a moment. And not just that, he is before all things, right? He existed in, in some way before all things. And it's not like he just created it all and just like sent it off and there's like this wonderful, you know, universe or, or you know, the physical realm that he created. He also says, and in him all things 
are held together, hold together. Like, like in some way, Jesus is still infused in the creation in some way. And I look at that and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know how that works. Now you got to be like a, a, a physicist or, or you know, a, a, a quantum physics a physicist or something. Or like you're, like you're way ab- above whatever I've learned in my years of life to figure this thing out, right? Like, what do you do with this? Like, what does this mean? And I think sometimes it can be easy for us, we miss it. We, we can read over it and understand all the words. And because it just, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper, like we can miss a little bit. And that happens with us. Sometimes there is something like so powerful, so big, like somehow we just take it for granted and uh, miss it a little bit. Um, kind of a, a very earthy story that illustrates this is years and years ago, um, I, uh, I rode motorcycles uh, quite a lot. In fact, when I was in college, that was kind of my primary means of transportation for quite a while. And I decided to upgrade my motorcycle. And I had a, a nice street bike, but I wanted, I wanted a bigger, faster street bike. And I found uh, someone who had one that was selling one, and it was close to roughly twice the horsepower of my other street bike. So I was doubling the horsepower in the motorcycle I was riding. And I had two friends, uh, Darren and Charles, one evening that were going to take me to go pick up this motorcycle. And, I, and so I drove over to the guy's house, went to pick it up. It was over off of Thornydale, if you know uh, where that street is. And I picked up this brand new motorcycle and I was so proud of it. And it sounded, it sounded so much better and faster than my old motorcycle. And drove down uh, to Ina and turned left and uh, hit a stoplight and Charles and Darren pulled up next to me at this red light. And I'm on this, you know, wonderful, souped-up motorcycle. And I'm like, you know. And they were in Charles's Baja. And it's like, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, you know, just, and so I'm like, let's drag race, you know. So the light turns green. And I mean, I pop the clutch. And the front wheel jumped off of the, I mean, it, I pulled a wheelie so fast. And I know this is not how it really happened. But in my mind, as I replay the story, I remember climbing up off the motorcycle on the handlebars, jumping up and down to get the front wheel back down on the ground because it scared me so bad. I mean, the front wheel came and I'm just like, I'm going to die, you know what I'm saying? You know, and you know, the front wheel comes back down. I didn't crash. The next light is red and, you know, they're way back there. I get my, uh, I get, you know, my coolness back. You know, I'm just like, and they pull up and I'm just like, you know, I dusted you guys. Darren was in the passenger seat. He puts his elbow out the window, pulls up next to me and goes, you didn't know that was going to happen, did you? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't buy it for a second, right? <laughs> just like, no, it's just like, I got a hold of some power and I had no idea what I really had in that moment. And the reality is, I think sometimes, I think sometimes we read a passage like this and we have, like, we read the words. But friends, I'm telling you, like, there is a kind of power, there's a kind of beauty and wonder to who Jesus Christ is that, that we will never in this world fully comprehend. But I wonder if sometimes, in, in not being able to comprehend the vastness of it, we, we lose what we could know and understand about it. We, we take it for granted a little bit. 
And so the question is, how do we engage with Jesus Christ, right? How do we engage with this person, the Son of God that, that Paul describes to us here in this moment, right? How do we get on that motorcycle, you know, with Jesus and, and, and to, to keep my metaphor going here, right? How, how do we do that? And, and here's what I want to talk about for the rest of my time here is um, the way we engage that is we've got to seek and to trust the power of Christ in the world, like a, a, around us or around you, but we also have to seek and trust that power within us, right? And so let me, let me start here with this, this idea of, of how, do we, how do we begin engaging Christ in the world around us. Um, and it starts with understanding that the physical world, no matter how, like it's a physical world, but it's not just a physical world, right? What Paul describes is this kind of world that Jesus is infused in in some way. But isn't it easy for us at moments to begin thinking of the physical world as just, it's just the physical world, right? But here's the problem with that. When we begin thinking of the physical world as just the physical world, um, it affects it affects our lens or our narrative how we begin seeing the world. Because if the world's just the physical world, we just begin seeing it as a world that, it, and here's the first thing with this. Uh, the world is always just falling apart, right? We just, if the world's just the physical world that we see, there is this trend. Have you noticed it with everything in the world? It just kind of falls apart, right? Like your house. I bet you know what's not happened with your house or maybe you've lived in an apartment for a while. I bet like... Um, I bet over the last five years, you haven't said, man, the insulation factor in my house just keeps getting better, right? It's just like, I'm using my air conditioner less. I just, it's getting better, right? The doors squeak less. The appliances are working better. It's just like, you know, uh, those black irrigation lines in my backyard that always crack and break. Well, you know, in the last few years, they've just been self-healing. <laughs> yeah. Anyone got that kind of irrigation in the yard? Because let me know, because I, I, I want to get some, right? Yeah, that I bet it's just been falling apart. That's what's happening. And we're always trying to fix it back up because it deteriorates. Um, and I know I've reached the age in my life that my body tells me this is true as well, right? That it's just everything physical wants to start falling apart. And as you play that out, if, if that's all you think of in the world, it's just like, man, the world's falling apart, right? It leads to this second uh, lens that we kind of begin to pick up that, that hurts us even more as we try and engage God in the world around us. And it's this, it's just, the world's always falling apart. The other thing I see in it is the world, it's just all, just bad things are happening in the world. The world's just a bad, bad place, right? In fact, the world, it, you know, I've, I've, got to, I've got to always be protecting myself from the world. I, I'm going to battle with the world. And, and I get why we see this, right? Because we look around and we see things like the Ukraine, Right? We see, we see what's happening in the world, whether it's hunger or war or whatever's happening. And, you know, in, in a real serious way here, maybe like you see it in your own health because there's health challenges that you're facing that are getting scary. Or you worry about your kids or your grandkids, you know, and what's the world going to be like for them when they're adults? Or you've watched some relationships in your life that have, that have gone south or they've become hurtful or painful. And, and we just, we see a world where we see all of that. And if the world is just stuff, if the world is just physical, if it's just material, 
we begin to view the world as the thing that like is against us somehow. But when that happens, it's like we stop experiencing Christ in that world. And so what I want to challenge us with here, just in a small way, is to, is to push back on that kind of view of the world by engaging the world, starting in, in the simplest ways. Here, here's the application of this. Start engaging the world in your prayer life with Christ, right? Start seeking Jesus Christ in the world around you, in what's happening. If you see something and you're just like, that needs to change, or I'm struggling with this, begin to pray, pray, God, change this. Like, make the assumption that God cares about it. Make the assumption, and there's no guarantees, right? Jesus doesn't say, I will absolutely do everything you say. But assume something different about this. It's interesting with Martha, even though she doesn't understand everything, there's this part of her that even in this moment where she's like, gosh, she has this belief that if Jesus would have gotten here sooner, her brother could have been saved. But now she has this belief that he got here too late and he can't be saved. But did you notice? She goes, but you know what? I, I, I know that you can still do something. I, like, and she's trying to re-engage with it. Okay, I, like I'm still gonna trust you. I'm still like, and you know what? Think of how easy it would have been for Martha to have been at that place where she could have just said, you know what, Jesus, I have followed you. I've been faithful to you. I have watched you heal people. And I needed you, right? I'm not just anyone, right? Mary and Martha and Lazarus, those were close friends of Jesus. And it's like, like, didn't our relationship matter? You didn't show up. And no one would have faulted Martha for just saying, I'm walking away from this thing. When I needed you most, you weren't here. And so I, I don't know how to trust you anymore. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I'm just, I'm walking away from it. But she didn't, right? Like she, she engages. She's still asking for Jesus Christ, right? The Christ to engage in this, in this moment. And we can do the same thing, right? I remember a time... Um, I think I was in my teens and my mom had uh, come down with a really serious illness that w- was just debilitating for her. And it had gone on for a while and she had seen a number of doctors and they were finally able to diagnose it. And the diagnosis was basically like, we can improve your quality of life some, but there's, there's no cure for this. And I remember um, some elders from the church um, coming over to our house and prayed for my mom for healing. And she was healed. And I remember thinking, like, I, like, it, like it was a miracle. It was just, like, I had, we had no answer for it. It was just like this amazing thing. And, and there's moments where we just pray, God, will you intervene? God, like, and I remember how that inspired me as a young man of just like, wow, like, like we serve a God who is powerful, can do amazing things. And what I want to encourage you in is pray for God to change it. Pray for God to change them. Pray to see where God might change something, to do something. But we also have to understand this, right? Because this is back to Martha's story. I bet she prayed a lot for her brother before that. And she was at that place where it just seemed like it was too late. 
You know, it was decades after that that my mom got a diagnosis of cancer. And I remember praying for her for that and the elders praying for that. And God didn't heal her. And we lost her. And you're like, okay, God, I prayed for change. And now, you know, I don't have what I need for what I need to get through this. But you know what I learned? The same God that had healed my mom the first time was the God that had the power to give me and my family and our friends what we needed to get through what we needed, even through the loss of my mom. And it changed how I prayed. And, and I found myself praying this, God, change it or change me. God, I see this, change it or change me. And you can do that. I look at the world today, man, I see the Ukraine. I, I just, man, I hate what's going on there. I see people in need. I see, I know many of you and some of the loss that you have faced here recently. And my prayer is always, God, change it or change me. God, change it or change them because I know you can. But I've also learned this in, in this, and, and this leads to just the, the second part that I want to cover in this, is that when we begin to pray this prayer, Christ, change it or change me, that change in me, that change in you, also means a kind of engagement that we need to step into and trust of not just engaging Christ in the world around us because he's so big, he's so massive, he created everything, but it means engaging Christ in me. Because what did Paul describe? Right? In fact, in chapter three, Paul says this. He brings it down, like he just like brings it down to the thing, and he says, um, uh, Christ is in you and, and all around you. Like, Make no mistake about it. Christ is not just in the outside world around you. Christ is in you. Like there's this mystery to that. And what I have found is in those moments where I've engaged Christ in something out there and the answer comes back, Glenn, I want to change you. That's when I have to learn how to engage Christ in me. And I want to, and, and to talk about this, to apply this, I, I want to give you a way to think about you in Christ, and then I want to get real practical about a way to engage Christ in you. So a way to think about it, and a way to practice it. So here, here's a way to think about this whole idea of Jesus in you, because, right, um, we've all heard the idea of like, uh, Jesus in you. Like when you become a follower of Christ, one of the ways we describe, you know, you became a follower of Christ when and by inviting Jesus, what? Into your heart. And we all, we have that, we hold that idea of Jesus in my heart. But um, I bet if you went and got a chest x-ray of your heart, that, right, the technician wouldn't go, oh, I found Jesus in your heart. It's right here on the x-ray, right? Probably not. So like, what does all of this mean, Right? And of course, this is, there is a spiritual level in which there is a kind of abiding in our soul, in our mind, in our heart, in our being, in this. And a way to think of this, uh, old illustration is, um, think of a ship that, uh, that's, that sank in the ocean. And that ship 
uh, you know, after it sank, it, the ocean, right, filled in that ship. Every nook and cranny of, that, of the interior of that ship was filled. And, and if you said, does the ship hold the ocean? Well, yes, it holds it in a sense, right? It's, it's holding the ocean in it. But then if you were to say, and does the ocean hold the ship? Well, yes. But does the ocean hold the ship the same way the ship holds the ocean? Like, no. Because the ship is holding just a fraction of the ocean within it. it. It fills every nook and cranny. But the way the ocean holds the ship is it has swallowed it up. It surrounds it. it is, it's touching and connected to every part of its being. And friends, when we become a follower of Christ, it is, it is like we've become a ship that is swallowed up in the ocean of who Jesus is. Like there, there is no place within us that he's not saved. So we can engage Christ in us. Like he can have a profound effect on our inner lives. And I want to point out one way that we can engage Christ. I want, I want to be just real practical with this because there'd be a lot of different ways we could take this. But one way we can engage Christ within us is this. And, and it is through asking questions. And, and not just any old questions, not just whatever. I take this as uh, something Jesus modeled. You know, um, several weeks ago, Ryan talked about uh, Jesus as our rabbi. We get to follow Jesus as our, we get to learn from him as we've watched what he's done. And one thing I have learned from Jesus as my rabbi is how he asks questions of people that have the uncanny ability to engage our hearts. Because here's the, the reality. If we really want to live a spiritual life, there is a, we must find a way to engage our inner life with Christ. And Jesus managed to do this with people through asking questions. And what he modeled, there are questions that we can answer. Um, go back to the story of Martha and Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus walks through this whole idea of he, like, he stands over life and death. He is the resurrection. He's giving all of this, you know, a theological, profound, beautiful truth. And then he asks the question, right? And so, you know, Martha, do you believe this? Right? That's one way we could take it, right? Theological question. But you know, if that's, if what Jesus was doing was a theological question, you know, okay, Martha, I'm a rabbi. I just thought it'd be great for a little, you know, biblical quiz real quick, right? We would all go, that's, that's not just rude. That's mean, right? Like who, like, She's in the middle of the loss of her brother. She's in this, she was like, you didn't show up in time. Like, why, why are you asking this question? Unless you realize, what if this question isn't about, let's see if you have the right answer. Let's see what knowledge you have. What if it's a question about vulnerability? What if it's a question about Martha? Where are you with me? Martha, are you ready to still hang on to me? Because maybe you're not. Maybe you're angry with me. Maybe you're filled with doubts. Maybe you're hurting. 
See, Jesus asks this question. I don't believe he's looking for the right answer. I think he's looking for vulnerability. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves in, a, in our relationship with Christ and we can be kind of protective, right? We, we can try and hold it all together. Okay, I'm going to be the best Christian I can. I can be, but the thing we don't often do is like, will I really be vulnerable before Christ? Will I, really, will I really be honest about my struggles with God? If you're going through a moment of doubt or you're going through a moment of like, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing, right? Like, who doesn't go through that when they face loss of someone they love? Like, like, you just go through that. And what Jesus is saying is, if you want to engage with me in your heart, I want you, I need you to be honest. I don't need right answers. We're going to get lots of answers wrong, right? Our theology, we're never going to get our theology perfect, right? But we can be honest. And so my question to you is, when you're praying, God, change it or change me. Ask yourself the question, am I being honest and vulnerable with God as I pray that prayer, as I seek to engage him in that? Because you might find that as you become more vulnerable with Christ, you are drawn to him. You find his power, even if he doesn't change what you've asked to change, that he will change you. And here's, here's what I have learned in this. My prayers have started to change from, right? It was, uh, you, know, uh, you know, God, change it to change it or change me. And now it's becoming more and more. God, change it and change me. Change it, but I also need to be changed. Like it, it's by becoming both. And Jesus would do this. Let me give you two more examples just that, that you can use it, it, as a starting point for the kinds of questions you can uh, ask in your own uh, prayer life in this. And oftentimes these are questions that seem out of place. Here's another one that really seems out of place. There's a time when Jesus, um, this is found also in the Gospel of John chapter 5. Jesus is traveling through uh, Jerusalem and he comes across a man who is paralyzed. Uh, and this man uh, is paralyzed and he's been waiting at near this pool because uh, there is this belief that they had that if, if the pool bubbled up uh, for any reason, the first person who was able to get into the pool right after that uh, would be healed from whatever ailment they were suffering from. And so this man has just been hanging out. He's been doing this most of his life. Jesus walks by, sees this man who's paralyzed, and here's the question he asks him. So do you want to get well? Oh, I don't know. I, you know, uh, who asked that question? You know, like, like go into an ER and there's someone with a broken leg. So I don't know. You want that leg fixed or reset? No, I just drove down to the ER because I heard the cafeteria was great. Yeah. No, it's like, but, but, but see, what if Jesus is asking something deeper here? What if Jesus is asking a question that gets at the heart? Because, you know, you think about this, great, the obvious answer is like, well, of course the guy wants to get well. But, but let me ask you this, like, how many times in life has there been something where there is the obvious answer? Like, I want to get better, I want to get well, but there's also a fear of that. Like, if this man is healed, what, is, what does that mean for, does he have to go get a job? He's not been trained in anything. What will people say? He ends up having to go and explain this to the religious leaders. That wasn't a good experience for him. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, what happens 
when there's the thing that you know, like this is where God's leading me, but I don't necessarily, it's not feeling safe. It's not known. It's not comfortable. Ever have a moment where it's like, you're looking for another job? It's like, oh yeah, I want that job. I want that. And then you're just like, I don't know if I want that job. What if I fail at that job? What? I'd, I'd rather say, yep, haven't been able to get a job than to step into that job because I'm afraid I might fail. And I'd rather be at a place where I could just say, oh, tried, couldn't get it, than to get it and say, I failed or I couldn't do it. See, what are you afraid of? That's what Jesus is asking here. Ever have a moment in a relationship where it's gone south? It's a struggle. There's hurt. There's pain. And on the end, right, and, and your words may be, oh yeah, I, I want this relationship to get better. I want it to be healed. I want us to forgive each other. But the truth is, if you were honest in your own soul, you'd go, you know what? I kind of like hanging on to my bitterness right now because I'm more comfortable with this and this feels safer. And what I want to challenge you to do is ask the question, what are you afraid of? Can you tell God what you're afraid of and be vulnerable about it? One, one more quick example. Jesus is with his disciples. They're on a boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat, right? He's down on the bottom, and the disciples are up on the top. This massive storm hits, and of course, Jesus being Jesus, he keeps on sleeping down at the bottom of the boat, and this boat is getting, it's ready to just be ripped apart and go down. The disciples are absolutely terrified. Jesus comes out, and the disciples are, are uh, like on the, just filled with terror and fear over their ship being ripped apart and sinking in, uh, in the, I think it was the Sea of Galilee. And, like, and Jesus asked this question, why are you afraid? <laughs> it's just like, oh, I don't know, Jesus. Maybe it's this storm that's about ready to sink us all. Right? It's just like, and it's like, it was Jesus really like, I'm confused. I don't know. I, probably not, right? But I wonder what, Maybe some of those other fears were. You know, they're in the middle of a storm and like, what if, what if Jesus wakes up and comes up on board and says, you know, I'm not going to calm the storm. And as my followers, rather than changing your circumstances, I'm going to ask you to go through the storm. I wonder if that was a fear they had. I know there have been moments in my life, like I've, play, I've prayed, you know, God, Change this, change this, change this. And what I sometimes want to then say is, and you know, I've always changed, prayed, you know, change it and change me. Uh, I'd rather just pray, change it, because I don't want to face the fact that maybe you would ask me to grow through this storm in my life. But what if God is asking you or asking me to be honest and vulnerable? And, and here's why I, I say all of this. Because if we can't become honest with our own souls, if we're hiding within on questions like this, we're never able to engage with what Jesus is actually able to do. And the beautiful thing about Martha in this is that she stays engaged. She gets to walk out something really 
beautiful in this. She gets to walk out both the fullness of who Jesus was and she gets to walk out the fullness of who Christ was. And maybe that won't happen in every circumstance of your life. But as you stay engaged and honest and you engage Christ in the world and you engage Christ in you, you will get to engage the beauty and the fullness of Jesus and of Christ, if not together, at different moments in this. And I want to just end by showing you uh, how this all works out. So um, if, if you look back at the story, um, Jesus then comes upon Mary, uh, Martha's sister, and, and again, she's kind of in the same spot And at this moment, right, Jesus has to know that he's going to heal Lazarus. And he has these two sisters, and they are just brokenhearted. You have all of the friends, and they're there. They're mourning, and they're just like like all just in total tears. And here's Jesus, right? And you think Jesus say, okay, everyone, buck up. Just just show me where Lazarus is because I'm going to heal him. I'm going to bring him back and we're going to have a party, right? He could have done that in that moment. Instead, here's what he does. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus goes with them. And now we have the shortest version In all of scripture, Jesus wept. Why? Like Jesus should have been giggly and happy and just I'm going to raise him from the dead. But we see Jesus. We see the man we looked at last week. We see the face of God who looks at you and me and he says, when you hurt, I hurt. But Jesus is not just Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. And once he mourns with them and loves them where they are, the power and the majesty and the mystery that we may never fully figure out of Jesus is exercised and he changes everything and he brings Lazarus back from the grave and they get to experience Jesus, the Christ, in that moment and they are forever changed. And friends, that Jesus who is the Christ, is still alive and well in you and in me and in this world. And may you engage him in the world and in your heart. Why don't you stand? And I'm going to close this in prayer here. And as I do, as I say that, I just, if you're a guest here this morning or you want to know more about what it would mean to become a follower of Christ, would you just, I'm going to be over here in the alcove area over here by this table. Come and find me because I'd, I'd love to answer your questions. Or if you're new here, I'd love to just uh, shake your hand and welcome you here. Let, let me uh, pray and I'll let you go here. Father, we just thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and just who he is. And may we experience more and more the fullness of who he is and the transformational power of him in this world and in our lives. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you Palm Sunday.